Today, I have an interesting guest, Radhika Gupta, CEO of Edelweiss Mutual Fund. Radhika is often called the girl with a broken neck. When she was born in Pakistan, due to certain complications, she ended up with a broken neck and has learned to live with it. Radhika describes herself as a diplomat who's lived and studied all over the world. At 20, she almost committed suicide as she felt weighed down by rejections in her career. Today, she steers Edelweiss Mutual Fund that has business worth 60,000 crore. She is the only woman CEO in an industry dominated by men. But perhaps more impressively, over a short span, Radhika has built an impressive and enviable presence on social media and outside. She has a Twitter following of 1.4 lakh. In this conversation, Radhika talks about her journey, the importance of social media in building a brand you, what she has learned about some of the do's and don'ts, and why this is important, especially for women executives. Tune in for this insightful conversation with Radhika. Hi, Radhika. Welcome to the show. Lovely to have you. Thanks for having me, Malini. Radhika, you are the CEO of Edelweiss Mutual Fund. But the reason you registered in my Twitter feed much before I got to know that you were the CEO, you are the CEO of Edelweiss Mutual Fund, and um, I kept noticing very smart, very relevant tweets that registered so easily, and they were so insightful. So that's when I began to look you up, and I realized you are the CEO of Edelweiss Mutual Fund. So, you know, that's where I would love us to focus on and talk about, you know, your social media presence, how you've gone about it, the importance of it. But before we go there, maybe it would be good to talk about what you do and your journey so far. So Radhika, tell us what exactly does Edelweiss Mutual Fund do and uh, what's your role there? I hope, you know, most of the listeners today, courtesy campaigns like Mutual Fund Sahi Hai, are familiar with the terminology mutual fund. If they are not, I highly encourage them to get familiar. Of course, mutual funds are an investment product for the common man. We provide professional fund managers and a wide range of products all the way from very low risk to you know equity products that let you participate in the markets and benefit from wealth creation. So that's what we do. The mutual fund industry now has about 45 odd players. Edelweiss Mutual Fund is one of the younger players in the business. And I joined the business about five years ago. And I think within the ambit of financial services, it's one of the most exciting things to do because you're really managing money for the common man. You're letting people enable their financial dreams and aspirations. And managing other people's money is a job that comes with a great sense of responsibility also. Do you want to take us through some of your important milestones on your journey? You've had a fantastic ride being an employee, being an entrepreneur, now being a CEO. Help us go through some of the important milestones in your life. So I, I think it's really been a Velpuri of a journey in the, in the best and tastiest possible way. As some people know, I grew up abroad, daughter of a career diplomat. Whenever people say, take uh, me through your journey, uh, I always start with that. It's a, it's a label I carry with a lot of pride because I think really growing up in so many countries and continents around the world has been a very rich experience personally. I then decided not to join the civil services, which would have ideally been what my father wanted. You know, there's always that angle. And I decided to go abroad for my college education. So I 
went to Wharton, did four years abroad. I joined McKinsey and then Wall Street after that. It was a very interesting time as a young person to start your career on Wall Street because this was 2005, 6, 7, and everyone remembers the boom of that era. So uh, some people have seen movies like The Big Shot, etc. I actually traded mortgages. So, you know, while not a lot of people are sure what that is, if you've seen some of the movies, I lived through that era. And I also lived through 2008 on Wall Street, which was a very, very sort of transformative experience. And then in 2009, decided for some reason to come back to India and start, you know, an entrepreneurial venture with two colleagues of mine called Forefront Capital. Ran that for four or five years, thoroughly enjoyed being a startup girl and building out the business, sold the business to Edelweiss Financial Services, which is a large financial institution in India, for those who don't know, and, uh, you know, uh, grew the business within Edelweiss. And then in 2017, there was a very interesting opportunity within the group to run the mutual fund business. And so I've been doing that for five years. So I think it's a, you know, combination of choices, chances, and making the best of the opportunities that have come your way. You know, uh, one of the interviews that you mentioned that women don't ask, and you asked for the job and you got it. Uh, and I would want you to tell us about what did you do to get onto the CEO's job? How easy, how difficult was it, especially in a sector like finance, which is extremely male-dominated, at least the perception outside is that. Well, it is very male-dominated. I think uh, outside of a brief period in banking where we had, you know, this phenomenal lineup of women CEOs, the, the fact is that corporate India is very male-dominated and financial services is very male-dominated. And as I said, I keep getting called only women CEO in mutual funds. As if it's a great label of pride, and I don't think it's a great label of pride. I think it just tells us how much work uh, we have to do. But I think back to your question, Malini, I was doing quite a bit of work within Edelweiss Group at that point. There was a merger that was going on. Edelweiss Mutual Fund was a small entity, and we had acquired a company called JP Morgan Mutual Fund. They had mutual fund business, and I was tasked with managing the merger because, you know, I had sold the business to Edelweiss, the forefront business, and I was, I, I'm usually very hungry for more. So two, three years into it, I was telling them, listen, I want to do more. I want to do more. What next? What next? And so... They gave me the responsibility of this merger, which is fantastic. And, you know, one of the things I do love about Edelweiss is that they give young people a lot of responsibility and they don't have the traditional, you know, trappings of age and this and that that a lot of corporates have. So in that sense, I, I was also fortunate. And when I was doing this merger, I also realized that, you know, I really like the mutual fund business. Now, I don't know very much about this, but whatever I've begun to know and uh, get to know, I, I liked. And so when they were looking for a new CEO, I actually raised my hands and very confidently I said, listen, I may not be the most experienced candidate, but no one will love the business as much as I do. And, you know, that that is a little bit of confidence of a 32, 33-year-old talking, uh, you know, maybe misplaced self-confidence, you know, eventually I did get the role. Now, I'm not saying I got the role only because I asked. Part of it is being fortunate. Part of it is working hard. You can't take away from any of that. But the reason I've told that story, and by the way, you know, it's interesting, my boss, you know, who I'd asked, later when he heard me talk about this story, he's like, I'm so glad you told the story about asking. And at every session I do for men, women, young people, Malini, I talk about this asking. I guess it's become synonymous with me. Because I just believe that, you know, there is no knight in shining armor in life. You are your knight. You are your armor. You have to find a way to make yourself shine. There is no other choice, right? Nobody takes responsibility for your career except you. And it is okay to raise your hand. And in an Indian context, we are always told, thoda haath piche karo, kam pelao, jitni hai, utne pelao. And I, I just don't think it works that way. Your career is your responsibility. Go ask and there's no ego in asking and there's no 
hurt in being told no because if you ask enough you're also going to be told you know no and till date uh, and i know we'll talk about social media ever since i've talked about this the maximum number of letters i get are stories of people who ask and don't regret it what has it been like for you um to be in the corner room radhika at a young age in the financial sector as you mentioned you didn't know that much about mutual fund but you still you know you you can always get started and get better at it so what has been the toughest part and what has been the easier part for you you know i i won't say it's all super easy at a young age just because in an industry like mutual funds and i probably haven't said this before there are people who come with a lot of vintage and a lot of history so a lot of my ceo counterparts are not just 10 20 years older than me they also have a lot of history in the industry they've been working since 1990 when i was 7 years old and they have shared experiences and camaraderie and history and it's a fabulous thing not only when i joined 5 years ago i'm just completing 5 years not only was i younger but i also didn't come from that world so i in the first year or so felt very lost i felt lost with the terminology i felt lost without a sense of network i felt lost walking into these agms and conferences and just not knowing the ecosystem so i think that was a little challenging and obviously it is an industry financial services where you can get very conscious of your age because it's one where experience gray hair etc etc do command a premium and it makes sense at some level because you know managing money as i said is a responsible profession it's a highly regulated industry it's a highly media facing industry so all of that makes sense so i think the hardest thing was actually finding my place and feeling at home which i think i began to feel about 3 years in uh, i was recently elected vice chairman of amfi of this was about 2 3 months ago and you know one of the things that made me feel very happy outside the opportunity to do work for the industry was just okay i feel settled now okay you know i i'm part of this world and that that felt very nice i think the easier thing and the good thing about being a young person however is i didn't have too much baggage so i wasn't cynical about what had happened you know there wasn't oh the industry did it this way in my head so uh, i came very baggage free so i could be very experimental i could be very bold in fact i think a few of my early interviews tweets comments were a little out there experimental bold so i think that comes you know there's an energy there's a passion that comes with youth so i think that was a good thing and one of the challenging yet good things was it was challenging then but i think it's an advantage now is i wasn't able to hire traditional people perhaps in part because of my age i mean it's always a little tricky to have older people report to you and young sort of fresher ceo you know you're typically not able to hire the standard industry candidates but i was able to hire very young very different what i call misfit outlier people and build something different maybe we could switch track radhika and uh, talk a bit about your journey on the social media platforms how you've grown how you've evolved and what have you learned in that journey so tell us a bit about the kind of platforms you are present in and why and how did it all begin for you okay so i think the why is very interesting i started being active on twitter actually after i became amc ceo and there was a reason i had a twitter account i think it was 2013 14 but it was never very active never had too many followers and i kind of just used it as a way to find news and periodically i would post something etc etc so it was there but it was never very active now when i became amc ceo in 2017 i quickly realized a couple of things one is that this is a business where you need to go out there and communicate because it is a consumer business 
you need to be visible to your distribution partners, you need to be visible to consumers, and an individual's visibility sort of matters. The other thing I realized is rather hilariously is that when you are a CEO of a young agency, especially one that has come without industry experience and background, no traditional media will easily cover you. Right? So it's very difficult to find a voice. I mean, you know, as I said, it's funny to say this now, but it's really hard to get a voice. You know, you don't get spaces at the conferences and you don't get spaces in interviews. It's hard. Now, where do you find a place to tell your story and tell your narrative? So that's actually why I took to Twitter. Um, and I started tweeting actively, as I said, after I became CEO. You know, the other good thing is that to me, I, I like to write. Now, I'm not one who has those traditional creative hobbies. I can't dance. I can't sing. I can't do any of those creative things. But the one thing I have enjoyed doing all my life, probably since the age of five, is writing. I, I write poetry. I like to write, you know. So Twitter for me also became a way to express my writing. So call it part-time passion and also call it need. It kind of came together. And that's when I started uh, tweeting in 2017. And there wasn't too much thought put into it then. You know, some of it would be tweets about personal finance. Some of it would be tweets about life. And it just evolved from there. So it started in a very haphazard way. But the good thing is when it started, I got a lot of encouragement. So a lot of people would write saying, you know, I like your tweets or I like your content. And sometimes media would reach out, etc. And I said, okay, hey, this is a decent medium. Uh, you know, we can get noticed. Um, I can use this medium. So that's actually how my Twitter journey started. It's obviously evolved a lot more and I've learned a lot more now, which, which I can talk about. But that's, that's essentially how it started. There were some two, 300 followers back then. And, uh, you know, as I said, I just kept building engagement with it. I also then got on to LinkedIn. Again, I had a LinkedIn account that was very dormant. I decided I would also start writing uh, on LinkedIn. This was about in 2018 and 19. And I started writing actively on LinkedIn. And that's been fantastic too. You know, I became incidentally one year then LinkedIn told me that I'm a top voice for LinkedIn, not only in India, but in finance and economy all over the world. And I was the only Indian there with Raghuram Rajan. And I said, what is going on? Uh, that seems a little strange. And then this year I became an influencer for LinkedIn. So uh, that's how that journey evolved. So those are the two platforms I operate on. But the journey really started from this compulsion of finding a way to get my voice heard. So today on Twitter, you have 1.4 lakh followers. Huh? And you've uh, tweeted 17,000 tweets so far. Did you see a big shift or big growth in your presence, uh, in your following uh, post becoming CEO and when you became active on Twitter? No, so it, it actually had very little to do, Malini, with becoming CEO. I think, you know, the great thing about these platforms is they are tremendously democratic. I don't think Twitter cares about whether, beyond the point, whether you are, I mean, unless you're a superstar athlete or, you know, film star, et cetera, et cetera, which mutual fund CEOs are not, uh, we don't fall into that category. I don't think Twitter cares about, you know, are you the CEO of X mutual fund or Y mutual fund or are you the CEO of the first ranked entity or the 15th? It's very democratic. So I think the following has grown over time and it grows with content. And while I don't track this enough, I'll tell you the points at which the following really grew. I did this TEDx kind of talk called The Girl with the Broken Neck in 2018. After I did that, and I essentially told a lot of my own life story and that, after that, I really saw a pickup in the following uh, because there were a lot of people who sort of discovered who I was uh, connected to me personally. And after doing that talk, um, I also had the confidence to use my Twitter account, not just for personal finance, but to tell more sort of personal 
vulnerable stories. I don't want to say leadership les- lessons because that's not what they are. Uh, but I just started writing tweets that came from a very personal space. So, you know, I would have a bad day at work and I would write five things I tell myself on a bad day. I would have a really low moment at work and I would talk about what it taught me. And after I did The Girl with a Broken Neck, I had the confidence to put that kind of content into my tweets. And that really helped sort of build up the following. And I don't measure the success of a Twitter account only in terms of followers. I measure it in terms of engagement. You know, how many people write into you? Uh, how many people respond to your tweets? You know, do those tweets touch a chord? Because we live in a world where everything can be bought. You can buy followers, you can buy all that stuff, but you can't buy engagement. When you say that the two platforms that you use, which is LinkedIn and Twitter, can I ask why? And if your presence and strategy, if I can call it, varies between LinkedIn and Twitter? Okay, so it varies a little bit. So Twitter, I think, is a fantastic platform to be visible just because of the range of people who see you there. In my industry, you have common investors, you have your distribution partners, you have a lot of the media fraternity, you know, so you have a very wide, and you have, you know, and the other great thing about Twitter as a platform is you learn a lot from people in the global asset management world. So I think that's why I use uh, Twitter as a platform. So it's a great platform to one network, especially for a shy person like me, who otherwise physically, I struggle with networking, but Twitter has been a great place to network. I mean, a lot of my networking has come from Twitter, uh, but it's also a great place to get your content seen by uh, people. So that's why I use that. LinkedIn, I think, is uh, a good platform, but I use it for a different purpose. So if you see my Twitter content, it focuses on two spaces. One is personal finance, which is really my profession and industry stuff. And the second is life stories, uh, you know, things that happen at work, et cetera, et cetera, uh, which I also believe is a core part of me because I am the CEO of a mutual fund company, but I'm also a person. I'm also someone who works with people. I'm also a working professional who has her day-to-day frustrations. So that is there. LinkedIn, I don't talk personal finance because I don't think it's that platform. Uh, LinkedIn, I used to talk about the workplace. So uh, most of my content on LinkedIn is either insights from my days at work, insights from managing people, insights from careers. Uh, It's very, very career and workplace focused because I think that's what lends itself well to the platform. And by the way, I mean, LinkedIn as a platform has tremendous engagement. So if you post a tweet, like post something on LinkedIn, like I posted something about employee exits and how they can be, you know, unpleasant. You get a lot of content and points of view. So I think that's that's how I use both the platforms. I'm not on traditional platforms. I mean, my Facebook feed is very old and it's personal. My Insta feed is very personal. I'm not a visual person. I like the written word. I like writing. And while people say social media strategy and stuff, I think my biggest learning from social media is you have to enjoy it and be authentic. I enjoy writing. So these two platforms work for me because they're written platforms. I'm not a visual person. Radhika, tell us about the frequency and the time that you allocate because, you know, in your job, I'm sure um, time is at a premium. So one, what's the kind of frequency do you maintain? And I know that it may not be a kind of strategy around it, but it's still a ballpark kind of frequency. And do you do it yourself? When do you do it? How do you find the time? That's a good question. Okay. So one, I do everything myself. There is no team, there is no agency, and I get this question a lot, and there never will be. And my team keeps telling me, you know, should we have an agency? I said, my personal account is my personal account. Everything you see there is me. You know, if there is a query on my business, which is Edelweiss Mutual Fund, then I direct it to my team so that a service query can be answered. But otherwise, every single thing is me, and, you know, it will be like that. 
as far as time and frequency i do think you need to be regular malini there's no formula but i think if anyone's looking to do this tweeting once a month or posting once a month is probably a little irregular i don't have a defined frequency but i think you will see a couple of tweets a week and you will see you know hopefully one linkedin post a week there are some days you know there are two three period days where there could be multiple tweets because i just find the content and there could be three four days where i have nothing to say and one of the things that has evolved over the couple of years that i've been doing this is i don't feel a pressure to talk as much now if i have something to say i will say it but i don't feel a pressure that i need to be on twitter every day i need to post every day i rather post less and post quality stuff you know it wasn't like this 3 4 years ago you know i don't think that works i think you need to post quality uh, and there needs to be a certain amount of frequency as far as time is concerned you know people always tell me that oh social media takes up so much time nobody has the time honestly i think all of us have time i think the time that we spend watching netflix social media takes less time than that <laughs> in the pre covid days most of my tweets were traffic time so i would be stuck in traffic going from one meeting to the other and the tweets would be then but a lot of the tweets are really inspired by real life incidences in fact anybody on my team who's close to me and knows me well can read my tweet and probably correlate it to something that happened at home or in the office that day so that's why the tweets are instantaneous right so there's no particular time something would have happened during the day and that will trigger a tweet so it's not you know in that sense it's not a planned strategy uh, even the threads that i write and over the last 2 3 years i've also started writing threads they're triggered by a specific incident right you know i was having a conversation with my mother in law one sunday about her portfolio and then i came back home and i wrote something about investment lessons to learn from your mother in law and it did really well now it's not that i planned and sat and had a con i just went to meet my mother in law for sunday lunch and you know it turned into a tweet radhika is there a learning curve what you've learned do's and don'ts do you want to talk a bit about that oh there is there's, there's a learning curve with social media as there is with anything you know i i can share a couple of things i have learned one is of course frequency of content which i have talked about a little bit i mean you need to have content at a certain frequency second is authenticity of content and i keep telling this to friends and colleagues who approach me whatever you write has to come from a very honest space and you can't be someone who's you know if you're a twitter account that's just regurgitating a bunch of warren buffett quotes or just copying a bunch of other people's ideas i just go to the original handle right nobody wants copied content so your own ideas as simple as they are and you know you don't need to have a new discovery to write tweets right you can say the same thing that a lot of i mean there've been 10 bhagat singh movies made in india right i mean there are countless love stories so people also think that to tweet i need to have some new discovery you don't need to have some new discovery so i think authenticity is super important and you have to be true to yourself and true to your style your twitter account is not an advertising account for yourself for your company same with your linkedin account so if these accounts are just going to show off your career achievements or company achievements some nobody really cares right uh, you have to think as a reader you know is this account going to inspire me is this account going to educate me is this going to give me something new and if you think like that you know then i think you will do well so i think finding an authentic voice is extremely important 
I've learned a lot about trolling, Malini, and dealing with trolls on Twitter. I think the few things I would say is one: I don't get into a lot of very controversial spaces. Okay, you know, I, I really I don't talk about anything political. I don't talk about anything that will land me into serious controversy. I think those conversations are great for your living room, but you know, living a public profile on Twitter, I think they can be avoided. I think you should avoid all kinds of negativity and bashing on Twitter. Why use this as a forum to be negative to anyone else? I think that is good advice. If you don't like trolls, why subject you know anyone else to negativity? And the third thing I say about trolls is trolling happens. It happens online, but it happens offline too. I mean, you know, haven't you been trolled by a random uncle or aunt in your family who has some opinion on your weight or your career choices or whatever? You know that you had kids too late. I mean, it happens in all domains of life. They say in Hindi, "Ke ek kaan se suno aur dusre kaan se nikalo," and that's uh, really been my approach. I've blocked a couple of accounts. I've muted a couple of accounts. And if I look at my social feeds, Malini, there is so much love. There are people who send me messages from their daughters. There's, there's a Lady who sent me a sari that her late mother used to wear that she embroidered with her own hands, saying that you know you're the person who should wear this sari. I mean, I get stuff like that. So there's just so much love. Now that 95% is so much love that 5% it's okay. I mean, I would you know it's it's a great price to pay for the affection, the love, the learning. That's how I think about it. Radhika, what has been the rub-off effect now that you reflect back on the brand Radhika, the organization that you lead? Help us get a sense of the kinds of things that may have happened because of your presence there. You know, while one never strategizes that, oh, this is brand Radhika, X will happen, Y will happen. I think the effect of having a strong social media handle is tremendous on both the organization and the individual. One is, I said, your network really expands. So. You know, we run a series at Edelweiss Mutual Fund called Connect, where we invite sort of really prominent thinkers and in investing in movies, etc., to come speak. Most people don't know that most of the guys who come on that show are just friends I've made through Twitter. So, literally, the amount of networking that you can get done, and the networking happens because people get to know you, right? They see your content, and you know, someone random and really famous starts following you because they like your content, and suddenly you start DMing each other, and you strike a chord, and You know, there you build a little network and you build mutual respect, and it's very different from a cocktail party network where two people are exchanging business cards, very formally thinking that मुझे इससे ये काम करवाना है. It's a it's a very nice organic network. So I think that happens. I think in your own industry, whichever industry it is, you know, you do get a voice. You get to know your competitors better. You get to know your customers better. You get to know your distribution partners better. You get to know your media better. All of that. So I think it's a great way to have a voice in your industry. And for people in a business like this to feel connected from you, and I really have Malini felt this in COVID because I used to travel three days a week, meet distribution partners, do all that. I haven't been able to do that, and yet a lot of people say, "Oh, but ma'am, I feel connected to you because I've seen something on your Twitter handle, or someone will see something and they'll write to you." So it is a way to feel connected. It's a great way to get customer insight from your business. So. I know if a product's not performing or if there's an issue in our call center, because people write to you directly, and if you respond to people directly, I think it helps your corporate brand a lot because you're seen as an accessible CEO who's out there responding to customer queries. And I think from a personal brand point of view, it's a great way to tell your story. A lot of people pick it up. I mean, a lot of the conversations, this one that we're having, you found me because you knew me on Twitter, and there are lots of these stories. I'm speaking to the office of Maharashtra governor who had honored me something with something. And I said, "Where did you find me? And where did you hear about me?" And they said, "Twitter. That's the impact the platform has, right? Social media platforms 
are a free way for you to share your story and put out your voice. It's for you to use and make the best of. Radhika, do you remember a time you made a mistake or not just the best of things that you did on Twitter and you learned a lesson? Do you want to recall any such anecdote incident on your journey that served as a good sort of learning curve for you? I'm generally a hot-headed person or I was till a few years ago. I want to say that there would be a couple of times where people would say something, not about me, me I can tolerate, but about the brand or one of our products. And I would react on Twitter and I would react very violently. And, you know, I would go into the self-defense mode and sort of try to respond, etc., etc. And then I got this advice from a couple of people that I shouldn't do that because one, you come across as reactive. Two, how many people can you keep quiet? Because when you put up yourself out there in the public domain, you also give people the right to have an opinion about you. And that opinion does not always have to be positive. Three, at some point, the people who I was trying to react to and trying to quiet down, etc., had significantly lower following than me. By me responding to those things, I was actually inflaming the problem. So now I don't feel the urge to react as much. Unless there is some serious misinformation about my brand, that really affect a wide range of consumers. I mean, actual factual misinformation, I just let a lot of stuff go. Um, and I've made this mistake. The urge to react and type, you know, can be very quick. The other thing I've done, and it's not a mistake, but it's a learning, is I've realized good Twitter handles are focused. You can't be talking about food and sports and personal finance and leadership. I mean, you know, you can have one or two things out there. But on a routine basis, you can't be having an opinion about everything. This is something I've just learned from observing handles. So I try to keep what I say, you know, reasonably focused in two or three spaces. Radhika, one last question. Being a woman and woman CEO and I being from the media, you know, I do notice that women CEOs uh, tend to articulate themselves outside in the world, lot lesser, lot lesser relative to men. And you've had an interesting and impressive journey so far. Do you have something to tell other women CEOs why this is important? Any advice that you would have for them? It's a great question, Malini. I think our voice needs to be heard. I think women have a very distinct voice. I think especially in a post-COVID era where we are talking about more heart, more empathy, you know, a different kind of workplace, that voice needs to be heard a lot more. I don't think there are enough voices of women corporate leaders in India out there in print or out there on social media. And I think they need to be. Other thing I'll tell you is I've been fighting on social media against this concept of the manal and all these conferences, etc., that just don't have any women representation. And while I continue to fight that fight, when I talk to a lot of these conference organizers about why they don't have women, they say, we just don't know who they are and we don't know their voices. You know, they come back to me and say, okay, Radhika, we'll add you to the panel. I'm like, it's not about adding me. It's about making other women visible and visible enough. And my point is that you need to make your voice present. We need to make our voice present so that people notice that we have a voice. And, you know, these manners, this, you know, our, our representation will finally come from us. Our voice needs to be heard. But for that, we need to put out our voice there. So I encourage you to go out and put out your voice and do it without fear of judgment. As I said, you know, if you're worried about judgment, judgment happens. It happens silently. Go put out your voice. The upsides of doing this are far bigger than any potential downsides that exist in your head. Thank you, Radhika. Lovely to have you on the show. Thanks, Malini. You were listening to After Hours with India Inc. by Malini Goyal. Mixed and edited by Shashwat Kumar. To get more insights into contemporary business and corporate culture, do subscribe to us. 
After Hours with India Inc. is available on Spotify, Ghana, Apple Music, and various other streaming platforms. To get regular updates about this podcast, follow the Twitter handle at Goyal Malini. For any feedback, email us at toiplus.podcast at timesinternet.in.